Welcome, Americus. Thanks for joining the show. It's a pleasure to see you again, Steve. Thank you to be on. We are going to be talking about some really interesting things. Americus and I have known each other for 10 years, something 10, like yeah, that. Yeah, a long time. A long time. He's a great guy, awesome about <laughs> brands and identity around brands. We're going to talk about that, talk about startups, today's topic, how to build a brand that drives loyalty in 2020. There's a lot of tricks and traps and things to the trade. Let's get started and let's dive in. Americus, could you give us a brief intro, a little bit about your background? Sure. What have you done? Yeah. What have you studied? Yeah, so I'm a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School. I've been here. This is my 20th year, actually. 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Very excited to be here. And um, I study identity. I study the extent to which products, brands, services, organizations can make a self-expressive connection with their customers and how that creates emotionality and deep gravitational pull between those customers and those brands. Got it. And you've been teaching it for 20 years. And if I remember, I was telling our daughter, our daughter, Lane, the nice, like having a good friend on who's so cool, Americus, and, I, I, and she wants to go to college and study psychology, and I said, I think if I remember correctly, your background yes. is in so, not sociology and not psychology, it's a blend. It's behavioral psychology or? Technically, it's social psychology. Social, that's yeah. actually what I told her. I right, didn't get it right. Right, right, right. Didn't get it right And now, basically, but. when you think about marketing, marketing is nothing but applied psychology, so. Got it. Yeah. Got it, in a really interesting way. Okay, cool. So that's your background. What you've been focusing on at Wharton, do you teach both undergrad and graduate? I teach undergraduate, I teach uh, MBAs, I teach executives, and I teach PhD students. Right, and then you have your consulting stuff on the yeah. side. Do you a have little all, bit of that stuff on the side. A little well. bit of that stuff on the side, write books, do TED Talks, which I actually watched before this, which was great. So it'll be great. Okay, so three parts of the conversation I wanted to have with you today. One is gonna be, get some basic definitions out of the way. I find people get very confused, like what's a brand? We'll talk yeah. about things like that. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about things like what's a powerful brand and driving loyalty and stuff I've heard you speak about, but I wanna talk about here today and identity and social status. And then, okay, cool, I'm a startup, this is great. I'm not Nike, Nike right. was a startup at some point. Right. What do I do if I'm just coming out of the gate? So those are kind of the, the three areas. So let's dive in first and talk about some definitions. So. What's a, what's a brand? What, what is it, you know, we talk about, you have to have a, a great brand because a, a quick thing, I think we talked about it the other day. A few years ago, I was meeting with a friend. It was really interesting. We're talking about brands and she said, you know where the term comes from? I said, I have no idea. It's like when you, when you brand a cattle, you, right. you, you just drive your logo. I was like, oh, that's yeah. a brand. That's not yeah. what you mean by a brand though, right? What's a brand? Well, let me start by telling you what a brand isn't. Okay. A brand is not just a, a, a tagline or yeah. a logo or a set of uh, aesthetic colors that you put together on a website. Company name? Company is that... name is, is not just a brand. That, right. Those are like outward signals. Those are markers that allow people to identify you. Mm -hmm. But that's not really what a brand is. Right. A brand is more of a, a meaning system. And what I mean by that is, is that a company or service organization is trying to communicate what it stands for and trying to really make a connection in terms of a particular type of lifestyle that a customer might be interested in adopting in terms of how they might self-express an identity. Mm -hmm. So like unpacking that why, we right. call it the why, is a, is a big part of this. Well, you just said it's partially, it's like self-express an identity. What, yeah. what do you mean by that? Well, so, the, so we walk around with these labels that we have, right? right. Professor, father, musician, uh, Apple loyalist, whatever those things are, mm -hmm. we, we have these labels. And mm -hmm. so these different labels are basically identities that we can take on as right. customers. And right. so, and we can choose to take on those identities and the extent to which we can affiliate with those identities and then express them to other people in the marketplace. Okay. All right. So what, so that's a, a brand more. It's, it's, it's not just cattle, right? Yeah. It's not, your not just, it's 
your logo and your colors and your name is just a little piece of it. It's just Correct. so much more. Very much more. Well, now, you can screw up a logo. Okay. I mean, there, there are like design principles and right. things that you need to be aware of. But I sure. think it's a common mistake to think that that branding is just kind of now I've got the, the words or the picture right. and now I've got a brand. I've got a brand. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then one other thing to just kind of get definitional. You know, I know you like to talk a lot about powerful brands. Yeah. So what, what does that mean it's a powerful brand? Like if... It, maybe you could name some brands that you think are powerful, and then what's it mean to be powerful? Sure. Well, I mean, they're classic sort of usual suspect we think right. about in very classic, iconic historical cases like Nike, mm -hmm. uh, Harley Davidson, Starbucks, Apple, you know, mm -hmm. sort of the classic cases. But when I think about a, a powerful kind of iconic brand, I really think about brands that are able to transcend their utilitarian features. Mm -hmm. In other words, any brand is gonna do something in terms of what it provides in terms of attributes. So that's like table stakes. Mm -hmm. But the great brands get consumers somehow to see beyond just the features and to somehow believe in a story about the brand or the narrative that really discusses and tries to articulate the meaning system that is behind that brand. All right. Yeah. Okay, so we, we talked about brand, we talked about powerful brand. I saw Dustin just mixed up there and, and threw up, you know, Disney and Jeep. Oh, and Disney, like we yeah. Were about. yeah. NFL. Yeah, these brands. The Shield. The Shield. Yeah. And I, I, we had talked about, by the way, when I first met you, I said, yes. what are the kind of brands that you focus on? Yeah. And I'll never forget, and I, I don't know if it's still true today, in a lot of your research and consulting and work, it's like when people are willing to tattoo a brand yes. to their body, yes. that's when I get involved. It's yeah. that level of true, like, Branding in a crazy yeah. Kind of way. I, I call that level of almost absurd uh, cult-like connection right. with the brand. I call it identity loyalty. All right. And the idea is that the again going back to this notion of why, uh, what does the brand stand for? I have essentially internalized the brand as I a would symbol say. of self-expression. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so now it becomes my self-concept is somehow fused with the brand. Right. Very very powerful. That's what I mean by powerful. Okay. So. Let's drive in. So driving loyalty, yeah. brand loyalty, and then we'll weave it back to like, I'm a startup, how, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. But what does loyalty to a brand mean? What are, what are some examples of, of loyalty? So, so lo if you can think about behaviors that a customer might engage in, mm -hmm. you can array those behaviors on a prioritization of how hard those behaviors are to do. So for example, an easy behavior would be to buy the product, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. A harder behavior would be to wait Mm -hmm. to buy the product, okay? And so if, if someone is willing to wait, even though they kind of need it now, mm -hmm. but they want to wait, mm -hmm. that's, to me, a proxy that says this is indicative of something that's a little more loyal than just someone who would purchase the product. And so when I talk about loyalty, we often get confused because we sort of want to equate loyalty with repeat purchase. And it's not always the same thing. Loyalty can manifest as repeat purchase, but just because someone uh, engages in repeat purchase of the brand doesn't mean that they're loyal necessarily. It mm -hmm. could be that they are simply routinized or habitually connected to your brand and they don't really think about you. They just have made a decision like, okay, that's good enough and I'll just keep buying that. But, but when they're loyal and when you talk about things like brand identity, I know in, in the past we've talked about some things like when somebody will come to the defense yes. of the brand. Yes. Could you talk about that a little bit? For I mean, sure. you've used, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I mean, the, the notion of identity loyalty and the idea that when someone is so vested in the brand mm -hmm. that they've taken it on as a symbol, as a badge of honor, a right. symbol of self-expression. Right. What that literally means is because their self-concept is fused with the brand, if anyone out there uh, in the marketplace is speaking badly about the brand, 
that's basically speaking badly about the person. And so there's an underlying psychology behind this that says, I don't want to be attacked because no human organisms want to be on the defensive. Right. So if the brand is attacked and, and I feel like my self-concept is somehow part of that brand, I will respond uh, and I will defend very vehemently. In fact, I will also see the world around me in a way that will really allow me to, 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 to defend and reinforce the beliefs I have about that brand. This is the reason why I started, right, yeah. this is the reason why Apple can say, you know, absolutely, like, hey, keep buying chargers. And right. people are like, yeah, I'll do that. You know, because <laughs> it's like you're bought into the, the right. Apple ethos, right. the, you're, obviously you're you know, structurally uh, integrated into the ecosystem and all that, but there's powerful things that go on uh, in context of these iconic brands. But I think you've also talked about, I know in the past, like things like you have an Apple fanboy. They will jump to the defense of a brand. Totally. Or if I say, I think, I don't know if you're wearing Nikes or what shoes you're wearing, but. These are actually Adidas. Adidas, okay, yes. so Adidas. Adidas, I, Adidas. Yeah. Adi Dessler, I didn't. There you go. From, from Germany, he's yeah. German. Anyway, um, Adidas and, and Nike and people like trash. I think Nike's garbage. I think, and, and you'll have other Nike enthusiasts yep that will, and you're saying they fuse to that brand. Like Nike is part yeah. of me, so I have to defend that. Yeah, and a big part of identity, Steve, will also be not just who you are, but who you're not. So you're touching on something that's very interesting, which is like a, a kind of dynamic that's associated with an in-group and an out-group, right? right? So the Apple loyalists right. against the Android loyalists, right. for right. example. And when we, when we analyze how they talk to each other and about each other, we see something very visceral, very, something that would not be indicative of a conversation about operating systems. It would, right. it, you, you right. literally see something that's, that's on the level of emotionality that would be associated with politics or religion. Right. And now you're touching on something that, because it's integrated with who right. you are, that right. has that kind of power. Right. It's a piece of hardware, it's yeah. a piece of hardware. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a, a, a cool thing, by the way. When you said like people react to it a certain way, do you know part of that reaction is engineered? So here's a, here's a quick complete side note. You have an iPhone. Oh, no, no, you no, have I an don't. Android. Dude, dude. <laughs> dude. Okay, you almost insulted. We and might I, have to throw and hands. I knew now. that. And I knew that. So how many? Hey, you're just for the live audience award. How many of you have an iPhone? Okay, 90%. I have an iPhone. If you message me, what color is the message? I message iPhone to iPhone. Blue. Blue. Wow. Correct. If you message him, he's got Android. What color does it come up? Green, Green is correct. Wow. Which is the more soothing color? Blue, it was engineered on purpose. So iPhone to iPhone comes up blue, and they picked it because they thought green tends to have more aggression and, and mm -hmm. it, it aggravates people, so well, mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, for you iPhone lovers, I'm not green with envy. Yeah, okay, okay. very good, very good. But anyway, <laughs> so they breed it, it actually was engineered <laughs> in. Like, why but see, here's the, you're making a very important point here, yeah. Steve, which is to say that branding is not happenstance. Branding right. and communication of values and creating the community to connect these like-minded individuals, it's a strategy. Right. And so if you're incorporating these kinds of things into what you're doing, then you're trying to get on that road to be able to create a much deeper kind of connection. Got it. Okay, cool, cool. So let's a little bit more on brand uh, identity, loyalty. You know, how do people become loyal to a brand? How, how does, let, let's think of some really big brands. Well, actually, let's take a brand that's right in front of us. There's a few brands right in front of us, really personal, right? Yes. Let's talk about Wharton. The Wharton's, wait a minute. The, the Wharton. Yeah. See, my, I just got a little bit excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wharton, let's compare that there's other brands. There's Stanford. There's other ones? If, yeah, I know. It's hard to believe. There is, talk about brand loyalty. Yes. You, you look at what we do, Dream Adventures. There's yes. a big competitor to us, Y Combinator, YC. You look at those different brands, and, and how does a Wharton, how does a, a Stanford 
Dream it, YC. How do they build that identity loyalty? What What do you do? How's it? Is it engineered? Is it? Is it on it's purpose? A, it's on purpose, and it is engineered. It starts with a, a deep understanding of the psychological needs of that target that you're trying to create a connection with, mm -hmm. and like almost, I, the way I love to talk about it is like what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, you're going to become as a, as a business strategist, you're going to become this sort of accidental psychologist. But what you want to do is you really want to like almost take a sociological approach. Like you want to be like Jane Goodall right. in the jungle. And you want to understand, uh -huh. like be where these customers are. What are they doing? How are they living their lives? Mm -hmm. And then you build something that tries to give them something aspirational mm -hmm. to connect with that can help activate a kind of uh, a sense of something greater right. if they connect with that thing. And that, it's, it's a much more, I mean, it's, it's very, Maslowian. It's very yeah, yeah. self-actualized kind of an argument, right. but it really is, in the research we find, is really what's driving the heart of like great, deep, iconic brands and how they connect with customers. It, it's interesting. I, you know, I, the la I last taught at Wharton, I don't know, it's probably seven or eight years ago now, and I taught for three years, and I'd meet particularly Wharton MBA students, and I'd say, you know, they looked at getting into Wharton and coming to Wharton as a branding event, and that's literally the words oh, yes. they use. This is a yes. branding event for me. It's on my LinkedIn and my resume for the rest of my life. Yes. And, and, it yes. helps me build brand. And it Absolutely. Just, yeah. And what's interesting, what does the brand say? So if someone goes out there and they adorn themselves with the Wharton brand, yeah, yeah. then someone who's looking at that individual knows that they've been well-trained. There's right. a certain kind of rigor and scholarship and depth of thinking and mm -hmm. thought, you know, leadership right. that goes with that brand. Right, that's so associated. That's right. associated with it. So mm -hmm. it's very powerful. And that's what we're sort of selling in the sense of when we invite colleagues to become members of the Wharton School, we're trying to add to that 97,000 plus network of like-minded individuals who have a certain approach to how they do business and how they do strategy and marketing and all that stuff. Got and it. finance, of course, because okay. we are kind of known for, Yes, I, I have to say it like that, finance. And finance, the yes. School, right. The Wharton School of Finance, okay. which doesn't exist, by the way. Is it really? It does not, does it, it's, just, it's just the Wharton School. Got it, yeah. got it, at so. the University of Pennsylvania. That's correct. But anyway, okay, Let, let's move on. There was something I watched the other day, your TED Talk, which was awesome. If Thank you haven't you. watched his TED Talk, you should definitely see it. It is really, really good. It's about 14 minutes and it's Tons of fun. extremely well done. But you, in that TED Talk, brought up, brought up a really great example of brand loyalty. I don't know if it's brand identity, brand loyalty. And again, we're gonna weave this into startups. I just wanna sure. use some examples. And, and you talked about Walgreens versus Tylenol. I did, right? Yeah, it's, and, it's a and, classic and you, example. Can you just take us through the thinking on sure. that and how that plays into some of the things we've already talked about? Because it kind of brings it alive. Sure, we'll, we'll it's a fantastic example of what, what is a brand? Like what does a brand add above and beyond just the, the physical kind of utilitarian attributes? And right. so I always give this as an example because I ask people, especially people who have kids, right. you ask them, you know, take, let me take you back to the first child. Mm -hmm. The first child is sick right. uh, and very young. And yeah, by the time you get to the third child, you don't like, care. Okay. <laughs> right, right. The right. first but child. The first child, you're, right. you're, you have this new thing called parent identity. Right. And so you're trying oh. to navigate this thing. Like, what does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to be a mom? What mm -hmm. does it mean to try to keep this little thing alive? Right. Okay. Right. And so, you know, I take them through the example. You imagine you're going to the store and you're faced with trying to get something to help that child feel better because they're what? very in, sick. In your TED Talk, it's one in the morning. Right? One in the morning, right. yeah. Right. And so you're, you're <laughs> please go to, and please do something because we need to sleep. Right. You right. go down to the, uh, to the pharmacy and you're faced with the choice. 
choice of either kind of the generic brand of, of sort of acetaminophen mm -hmm. or the, the trusted, quote, Tylenol brand. Right. And so now the question becomes trusted. With big air quotes? Air quotes, because okay. it's building into part of why the Tylenol brand right. costs so much more right. than the generic kind of Walgreens brand. Mm -hmm. And what, the reason I bring that up is because it's just fascinating because they're identical products. And so this is one by, of the cases by law, by law right? right? Active ingredients yeah. are identical. I and checked so, last night; they're both 160 milligrams of yeah, the cinnamon. Exactly. Right. So what's interesting about that is that, and I say this in the TED talk, is that this will drive economists crazy because it's completely irrational to pay more money for the exact same thing. Right. And people know it's the exact same thing. So it's right. not like there's confusion in the marketplace. They know this, right. but they're choosing something from a, a higher price, a product that shouldn't exist if consumers are rational, but it does because parents need to know that, hey, I trust this, and even though it's the same, I need to reinforce my sense of being a parent, having that identity, especially for the first child. Right. And so right. That, there's, there's above and beyond utility and value in that process of, un of understanding what that trust means as a parent. So when you go to the- And you, have to, and you can, you will, as a company, you can get people to pay more for that. Right. That's the point. Wow. Yeah. So you go to reach and like, do you go left? Do you go right? Yeah, yeah, that's around. right. That's and right. And it's interesting because you, 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 it's what you talked about, just the behavior. I don't know if you know Dan Ariely and behavioral oh, economics and all that. It's just kind of probably plays in all over again. It's huge. We're not rational. That's right, exactly. It's predictable. And branding rational. is not that's rational. Predictable. And branding right. is not rational. Right. Right. There's no reason why you should be willing to wait overnight Right. outside of an Apple store. Right. You can wait and get the thing right. later on. Why do you want to wait you know, in the cold in a long line? Well, it's because there's a connection there, there's a community there, right. that there's a social thing that's going on there between the people who love getting these blue messages from right. each other. <laughs> uh, and so part, that's all part of the experience, which is all part of the brand. Got it, interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, so you also talked about, I want to go in, so we talked about that brand. Um, so, so what are the, the, and we'll drive this specifically into startups in a couple minutes, but what are top deliberate company actions, right, that need to take place yeah. to build a powerful brand? And by the way, you know, let's, let's talk about some other brands that some of the people in the, in the audience here and online may have experience with. Um, we have somebody that just flew in internationally. I don't know what carrier you flew on, but let, let's, American Airlines is a brand. Yeah. Well, Delta is a brand. They're trying to be a brand. Yeah, United. Yeah. Southwest United. is a brand. Like yeah. when you talk about those brands, it might be a little bit harder, right? Because everybody hates their airline. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, what, what is a brand? What are the deliberate company actions that need to pay, take place to build a powerful brand? Maybe we can use airline brands or we're not talking about yeah, I mean, brands. Yeah, airline, airline, airline branding is a little bit more complicated because it's super interesting because it's a commodity. Right. And a bunch of what drives airline decision making is just price and schedule. So it's hard to brand in that space. But as I, a, I would, uh, you're the expert, not me, but I'd push back and say people like Southwest, yes. JetBlue, maybe, they, yes. they build brand loyalty. Yes, and, and by the way, JetBlue's CMO is yeah. a Wharton alum. Oh, Her really? Name is Elizabeth Windrum. That would be the, the Wharton School the Wharton of Finance. School. <laughs> <laughs> At Wharton. At Wharton. At Wharton. And uh, she's come into my class oh, on cool. several occasions to talk about what they do. This is CMO of? Of JetBlue. Jet cool. Yes. And, uh, and she talks about how Southwest has a very different strategy. Southwest has basically agreed to, to not be on the travel sites. So right. they have to spend more money to get their message out there. And they've kind right. of created kind of a different thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's hard in the airline space. What I would say, though, especially for startups, yeah, yeah. as you start thinking about, you know, what are the things I need to be doing? On day zero, you need to be thinking about why am, what is my why? And right. I, I referenced this in the TED Talk, this yeah. notion of uh, Simon Sinek's idea of, 
uh, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Right. And his whole cottage industry right. is basically selling this point that here's what's going to be happening is that people have need to they need to have a reason to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So as a startup, you know, as you're developing, and it's hard because you're sort of building the plane as you're flying it, but I under, and I understand that. But you have to create the discipline to put brand in the same prioritized a position as you would acquiring customers. They have to be almost equal plane. So you have to kind of start with what is my why? What is my story? What is my reason to believe? What am I trying to really make a deeper connection? Because yeah, people are gonna buy your luggage if you're away.com. They're gonna buy the luggage, but they are really, you know, there's deeper needs that go on for someone who's like really into travel. So if I can sociologically unpack the traveler identity, Mm -hmm. and maybe I can create a narrative that really taps into that. And so putting that first and foremost, and not seeing yourself necessarily as a luggage company, but seeing yourself as we deliver experiences for the the extremely interested travel goer. So we want to understand that lifestyle is a very different way to imagine your business if you're a startup, for example. It's interesting when you talk about that experience. It's like for Dream Adventures as a brand, we spend a lot of time thinking about that. But part of what we also think about is does our audience care? Like what we think is the important experience for them as a startup and what they need to do, get in front of customers and capital and things. And they're just, they just don't, have enough experience a lot of times to yeah. appreciate, and yeah. maybe we're talking to them at the wrong level, or we're not, yeah. we're not anyway. I mean, there's a, there's a short time frame. Listen, yeah. I, I get it, yeah. and I'm very sensitive to the startup world because you are constrained by limited time and money. Right. And so the, you, the same kind of brand building exercise that Nike does, where they're willing to say we can lose money on just Wait, trying to create, Nike? yeah, the swoosh, right? <laughs> exactly. We're, that's, we're willing, that's a logo. Well, they experiment a lot. They're right. willing to say we're gonna we're, we we're gonna engage in brand elevation exercise exercises where we don't really have a KPI. We're doing it because we want to get our brand and keep our brand sort of in the forefront of consumers' minds. Right. That's something that you can do when you have tons of cash. So, but if you're a startup, yep. you know you're constrained by okay, how much effort am I gonna put into like just getting more people on my website, right. uh, acquiring new customers versus this brand exercise, which is kind of fluffy in some senses, but is a very 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 important thing you should be doing. Let's try, uh, there's some stuff I want to come back to, but since we're talking about startups, let's dive into that a little bit more. So like, what else can I do? So we have a whole bunch of people from the Wharton School of Finance in front of us. Um, and you know, when they're thinking, let's say a bunch of them are startups, great, so, so what should I do, right? So yeah. a lot of people that we talk to, you know, dream it, the companies are a little bit later stage, you know, they've got some product, they've got some early revenue, but we talk to, and I talk to startups all the time, they're just coming out of the gate and they're using all, you know, I'm, I'm a lean startup and I'm MVP, minimum viable product, and yeah. fake it till you make it and move fast and break things. They're yeah. moving so fast yeah. and iterating and experimenting. What do I do about my brand from those really early days, except, you know, the why? What, mm-hmm. what specifically can I do? Like, well, what should I do? Well, the, you, you know, it's hopefully cheap. No, no, well, it's fast. cheap. Well, here's the thing like, people have this. Yeah, people have this perception that I, you know, I don't have enough time and money to go out and do the work, the market research. Right. That's false. The okay. thing, for example, in my class, customer analysis, uh, we talk about tools that you can use to be able to gather intelligence on your customers. O- online tools or getting face-to-face with your customers? Both, right. both. And so there's a litany, especially online now because of the technology is mm-hmm. advanced, but there's a litany of, of things that you have in your toolbox that you can gather. And the thing, here's the thing, Steve, going from no attempt to try to understand right. Right. anything about your customers to the slightest incremental, here's a little bit of cash that I can use to do some things, right. is like the, the, the incremental impact that that has on your ability to understand an insight that could then 
cause you to do something with your startup in terms of the product or service in a way that actually might be meaningful is massive. And people don't understand that. So can you name names? Like what are two or three tools? If, if there's anything you know off of the top of your head, like what, what could I use? Here's, here's something. Yeah. Talk to your customers. <laughs> no, seriously. Right. I've seen many, many startups. I've right. seen, I've seen we see it colleagues all, all the come time. all the time and say, here's my pitch deck. And I'm right. like, I got this cool thing. It's like, I mean, we built this thing. Right. It's awesome. You know, we have this engineering mindset, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And it's like, well, why, why are people going to be interested in that? Oh, hadn't thought of it. So it's kind of like making sure that the, you always put in the customer first and, so, you know, and, and inviting those initial kind of customers that you're trying to grow in terms of acquisition, mm -hmm. inviting them into your process mm -hmm. of helping you almost like develop what you're doing in real time and making changes as you go. Well, let me just, let me echo what you say because we see this a lot. We see so many entrepreneurs and so many startups and it's not a Philly thing, it's not a US thing, it's a global thing because we, we talk with startups around the world. They all make the same mistake. They are so busy pitching investors. And I always say to them, but these investors aren't your customer and they don't, they don't care and they're looking for signal, right? So right. if you, and I've talked to a lot of startups, a lot of entrepreneurs, if you spent half the time that you go around trying to pitch investors and instead spoke to customers, mm -hmm. number one, maybe you wouldn't need the investors, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Right. But everybody wants that shortcut. That yeah. It's almost like being lazy. Well, I'm just gonna raise a million dollars, then I'll go after it. Like, no, no, go after customers first. Go speak to your customer. One of the other things we talk about a lot, just to rip for a minute is, you know, roughly the statistics say a little over 50% of startups fail because they're not solving a big and urgent problem that anybody has. Mm -hmm. And they haven't done that de-risking around talking to the mm -hmm. customer, which helps also build the brand. Mm -hmm. And you know, to us, it's just, it's a big problem. So anyway, so go talk to customers. Got mm -hmm. it. By the way, we have a dream at Dose on that that oh, talks nice. about like, the, about what do you do about talking to a customer? And we talk about that one of the interesting things, I don't know if you've seen this, one of the interesting things is if you're going to speak with customers, one of the most important things you can say to them is when you know, you're getting face to face, here, I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing and I have one ground rule. You can't hurt my feelings. Mm. Because usually when you talk to a customer and you're an early stage startup and you know, everybody comes back and says, oh, I watch Shark Tank, you go. And like, I love what you're doing. You don't <laughs> want that, you want this. Tell me why you wouldn't use it. Tell me what's wrong because right. everybody wants to. Right, it's like, right. you're, by the way, that first baby, when you're walking through the park and look at my beautiful baby, it's totally. so cute. Nobody wants to tell your baby's ugly. Right. Anyway, okay. So right, right. tools to like no, that's build your brand. I want to build on what yeah. you're talking about though, Steve, because I think that you know part of what, this is this was something that someone told me recently that stayed with me mm -hmm. in the context of brand building, uh, developing your product, your service as a startup. And they said, hold on to your idea. This is, a, this is the exact quote. Hold on to your ideas okay. lightly. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the idea was like, oh, the pro as an entrepreneur, yeah. you're, you are a brand mm -hmm. and you're building something and you're investing your own psychic energy into this thing. And so, when, so being, having the discipline to be able to pull back and say, give me some real constructive feedback is right. hard because right. my identity is wrapped up in this. Oh, I've true. spent so much That's time, sleepless nights, yeah, yeah. trying to do this. So you know, trying to pull the self-concept out of the entrepreneurial idea in the context of creating your startup is a very difficult thing, but it's another piece of advice that I give all the time. Interesting. Uh, another one of the tools that I think is super important, which is very powerful, is a tool that I use called social listening. Right. And this is basically... Like which tool? There's a whole bunch of social listening tools. Any in particular that you like? Well, there's a couple that I like that I can right. talk about that I don't want to like promote here. Yeah, because yeah, for, but But the power of being able to kind of use this qualitative conversational data that's out there right. of customers just in their natural environment online having mm -hmm. discussions about products and services mm -hmm. and their lives mm -hmm. intermingled. Mm -hmm. And your ability to go out there and analyze that kind of information in large amounts to be yeah. able to pull out themes 
that would correspond to psychological needs where there actually might be uh, a big sort of gap in terms of a, a problem you could solve. I'm finding that that's like a very powerful kind of way to gather intelligence very quickly and it is not necessarily gonna break the bank. Got it. So um, let's see, the other thing I wanna to talk to you about, right, what do you mean by using or being part of the brand? It becomes part of their social status. We've mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit. Like how does a brand and a startup or an older company how do they do that? How do you engineer that you become part of somebody's social status, that you stand outside in the freezing cold, yeah. outside the Apple store, what, what you're, you're at Tesla and you're writing a line yeah. to Musk, a $2,000 check to Isn't hold your place in line? That's pretty amazing. It right? is pretty I mean, amazing. It's, see, it's I've interesting. I've done it once. Oh, really? Anyway, awesome product. Okay, nice. I'm not affected by marketing, but wow, is that interesting. a great product. Yeah, he's University of Penn, by the way. Elon ah, Musk. there you go. Yeah. Did he go to the Wharton School? I don't think he went no. to the Wharton School, <laughs> anyway. but he is from University of Penn. Yeah. You know, he's one of the interesting uh, examples because it's one like smart dude. one super smart and he's yeah. like light years. He's yeah. playing chess. Yeah. Everybody else is playing tic-tac-toe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's, well, he's, it's interesting, right? Because it's like people, I mean, he built the whole Tesla thing, never did a commercial. Correct. All yeah. on word of mouth. Yeah. And a lot of what people are interested in is his vision. Right. Right. So it's not so much, hey, I'm buying this electric car. It's like I'm buying a little piece of this Correct. aspirational vision of Elon Musk, of this right. visionary. Of a um, promise. Of right. a promise. Yeah. Right. That's what brand is. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's a very powerful kind of connection that you can try to think about as you're an entrepreneur trying to develop your own brand and trying to develop a reason for mm -hmm. to bring consumers into your vision. The other thing that's very powerful about this, Steve, is that when you're able to do that, it insulates you. Because it, it because the, the choice is no longer about do you have the, the best electric car? Right. That's not the choice. Do you, right. do you have the best technical feature on this electric? No, the choice is really about I believe in the vision. Right. And so other companies can try to copy what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? But it's really about like going back to your earlier point about the question, you're trying to build that community right. of like-minded individuals who really have that identity to try to connect with that vision. And so that, you know, I think about, for example, one of the examples I talk about in the class all the time is Peloton. Mm -hmm. Here's the interesting point yeah. that, that I think you're touching on, Steve, is that Peloton didn't invent the stationary bike. No, not at all. Peloton didn't invent the internet. Right. Okay, that was Al Gore. Right, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not very good. Uh, you know, and Pel Peloton didn't invent the uh, fitness-minded people. Right. But they brought, in tech, they brought it all together. Right. Said so there's a community of people that sociologically understood, there's a community of people who are super tied to their instructors. They love their instructors. They, they love the pain. They love all that stuff. Right. Let's bring this together mm -hmm. in this community virtually and create a value proposition that really can potentially be about this identity. Right. And so if, if they're able to do this, I mean, they've had some challenges, but if they're mm -hmm. able to do this, then they create a kind of insulation. So there's another competing uh, product called Echelon, which is a similar product. And their whole thing that they're trying to compete with on Peloton is basically, we're the same, but our bike is $1,000 cheaper. Right. And right. so the point, th this will be an interesting sort of pressure test because sure. we'll see if the Peloton community and new acquiring customers are really bought into the vision, the mission, the brand, mm -hmm. as that opposed strongly, to the, right. as strongly as opposed to, well, I just want a bike and I just can get on a community with other people and, you know, right. the cheaper option. Because right. Echelon isn't even trying, Echelon, Peloton, they're right. not even trying. Right. They're just right. like, I'm just gonna copy you and I'm gonna do it for cheaper. Right. And my point is that brand, if you do it right, right. can insulate you from those kinds it, of competitive attacks. And it's interesting, by the way, Echelon, Peloton, is that like Walgreens, and Tylenol, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's just cheaper. Or yeah. if I go into Costco and I look at, there's a Dyson vacuum or the Shark, and the Shark just constantly, or Ninja copies this. And, you yeah, know, it's totally, the, totally. And it's the brand promise. But it's here's the thing, it's like the, the brand allows you, because if, if, your, if your thing is all about, this goes back to startups. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you're concentrating on features, I've got this stuff, this, the, the stuff, I've got right. the things that it can do. Mm -hmm. If that's what you're sort of, pro if that's about your promise, mm -hmm. 
then what's going to happen is anybody can come in and just basically uh, bring a better mousetrap to the marketplace. Sure. Then it's a race to the bottom. Right. And so in some sense, it's like you got to give something above and beyond that. That's where the role of brand comes Got it. In. Got it. Okay. So then a little bit more on social status. Like I even think of it, you know, how do you engineer or, or using it as being part of the brand and a customer social status. Like other examples of brands that I think about. We talked about Wharton and Stanford. Was interesting, by the way, years ago. I remember when Wharton opened in San Francisco. We did. And it's like, we and, did. And we're not going to try to compete against Stanford in That's their own correct. backyard. That's correct. Let me just, yeah. I love this because we, we struggle with this. Yeah. yeah. yeah interestingly, as, as a brand, mm -hmm. Wharton is like, how do we get out of that world of we're only about finance? Right. And so one of the things we were doing in the, in the kind of entrepreneurial space is to not necessarily, like you said, not necessarily, so we can't attack Harvard on let's do cases. That's not going to work. Right, Harvard right. owns that space. Right. Correct. So what, by the what, way, it's, we, for Dream It, we talk about that all the time with Y Combinator. We can't compete head on with Y Combinator. Y Combinator has a very powerful brand. We have to. It's like Avis. We have to try harder. We have to differentiate, yeah. and we do. But anyway, yeah. right. No, that's it's yeah. a great point. But it's like finding your specific thing, your secret sauce that your customer, your target customer cares really, about. Really, really, really cares about. Right. And so for us, like we can't compete on like the the Silicon Valley kind of argument where here's the idea and we're going to create the idea. But we can compete on. Let's help you scale it because right. we have that kind of more kind of analytical, empirical kind of approach in our brand, which we're much more like quantitative in this school mm -hmm. in terms of our approach across all disciplines here. And so from our perspective, it's like you're growing that ability to be able to say we can compete entrepreneurially because there's different aspects of the mm -hmm. entrepreneurial process. We just have to find our sweet spot. Right. I was just thinking, by the way, a couple other brands and social status. And then it's interesting how you and I've heard you use the term sometimes co-branding. You know where a person takes on a brand identity. It's like if I said you I went on vacation and I stayed at an, I stayed at an Airbnb versus a Marriott. Mm -hmm. Do I think that somebody looks at me differently because I'm hip? I stayed at an Airbnb <laughs> and I did. We visited Colgate the other day with our daughter and I stayed on a farm at an Airbnb. It was very cool, by the way. Till the chicken, I was having a <laughs> cup of coffee and the chicken's pecking at my foot. But anyway, um, or or do I get an, an Uber or a yellow cab in, yeah. in New York City? Right? Does that does that? My social status, am I adopting? It's interesting just to think totally. about those brands and how you adopt social status. Totally, I mean, it, the Airbnb case is a very example. Um, we, we do a podcast called mm -hmm. Marketing Matters on Sirius XM uh, channel, channel 132. Mm -hmm. How 132. frequently do you do that? We do it every Wednesday, five to 6 p.m. Eastern cool. Standard Time. All right. Uh, we had the one of the CMOs of uh, Marriott come on, mm -hmm. and they're trying to compete now. They're trying to do a similar kind of Airbnb thing right. because they're looking at it and saying, this is successful. By the way, you know that you're kind of SOL on your brand when you're trying to do a similar kind of Airbnb thing. You're using their brand to describe it. What were the Uber Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. right. Anyway. No, fair enough, okay, fair okay. enough, no, no, fair no, enough. Fine. But it was interesting because the argument was like, we're, we're going to differentiate, we're going to do like high-end, super luxury mm -hmm. Airbnb model. Like if you want to rent the, the the castle in Scotland, right? that's the type of stuff. And they said, we have about 3,000 to 4,000 of these properties, and we're going to like play in that space, but mm -hmm. we're going to kind of go after a different segment right. and kind of a different, you know, same paradigm, mm -hmm. but kind of a different approach and, and kind of, and what's interesting is like the argument is we can kind of use this kind of Airbnb model mm -hmm. to like drive customers back to our properties, right? As a function of you know kind of deep loyalty sorts of programs that they have existing. Oh, sure. So it's a kind of an integration argument. It's very interesting. 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 Okay, yeah. so let's go back to startups, and we'll focus the rest of the conversation there. So, you know, one of the things we try to hit on here, you know, what are top five things I can I can think about when I'm trying to build a brand as a startup and. You and I were discussing the other day, like what's the definition of a startup, right? It's constrained on time and money, yes, right? And they're, yes. they're experimenting and learning. 
So what are some pragmatic things yeah. that I could do from the beginning? Totally. Easy, actionable, drive some results. You hit some, go talk to customers. Go talk to my customers. That, that's almost like learning what should you be doing. What's yeah, that's like, that's table stakes. Yeah, it's table stakes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's the social listening. You talk social to listening, So how yeah. do I? What's your positioning I'm, statement? I'm, I'm Warby Parker and I'm spinning out of Wharton. Right? Sure. It was a yeah. Wharton. I remember meeting them very early on. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, what do I start doing from the beginning to start thinking about or building my brand and you, you have to start with a positioning statement. Okay. And right. it's, it's a very, you can, you can go online and look at this, a template, mm -hmm. basically a tool yep. that allows you, it has some, it has, you fill it in basically. Who's my target Who's customer? my target, you know, what, what do I do? Right. But not what just what do unique? I do, what right. makes me unique? Yep. And why am I different? Right. And like you, you build that out, and then you build, you integrate that into the story of your why. Right. You connect it back to your why. And here's the other thing: you always go back to that. Mm -hmm. The problem mm -hmm. with with marketing often is like you you drop it. You, you see it as an exercise in and of itself. Mm -hmm. The point of marketing and branding is to create this positioning, this psychological differentiation, mm -hmm. and then to go back to it over and over again every single day when you're making decisions about your startup. Right. Because that's how you're creating a, a kind of consistency around reinforcing that mission or that narrative that you're trying to uh, put out there and articulate to those key customers that you're trying to emotionally connect with. Can I, I just? I'm going to fast forward off of startups for. I'm just thinking big companies. When you say you're constantly rearticulating what your promise and your value is, and I just think of phone companies and cable companies, right? And you call, I'm just, this is the complete inverse. You call in, right? And, yeah. and what's the thing that always happens when you call into a call center? You know, you're like, oh God, my Comcast isn't working. Here comes 40 minutes wasted in my life, right? So you call in and they say, I'm sorry, we're experiencing unusually high call volumes, right? Wait, they're always experiencing, and right. you sit there on hold for 45 minutes. Right. I'm just thinking like, how is that your brand promise? Right. There's so many companies that get so big and they just fall down so totally, hard on their totally. brand promise because of things like customer service. And just to, to riff on that for a minute, if you look at, what's the Sox company? It's not- uh, Bombas. Bombas. You yes. look at Bombas, you yes. look at Zappos, they take customer service oh. and they invert it. You know, there's somebody that used to work at Dream It, this great guy, Jack, who was at Bombas for a while. And he's like, Bombas takes the marketing. To get into marketing at Bombas, you start in customer service mm -hmm. because they use that as part of their brand mm -hmm. and their marketing as their customer service. It's a way of differentiation. Uh, totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a misappreciation, if that's a word, uh, in the power of creating customer delight, especially right. in the context of like the cost of acquiring a new customer versus keeping the ones you've got. Right. So, I mean, I think that's very, very important. It's something to think about. When you look at great brands, they're really good at... And this is why, you know, sometimes people get upset when you talk about, well, you know, higher order kind of self-actualized mm -hmm. interpretation of what the brand means. It's like, well, that's, you know, at the end of the day, you got to sell the stuff. Right. You know, but so that stuff doesn't matter. But it actually does matter. And one of the ways it really matters in terms mm -hmm. of the research mm -hmm. is internally. So mm -hmm. as an organizational culture, if the why is powerful, if that, if that promise, that narrative about this is why we do what we do can permeate even down to the lower levels, then it's essentially you're creating more likelihood that you're gonna be able to deliver that, that, that appropriate customer, customer experience, experience that's gonna reinforce what you're doing. Got it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the lower, like, like I, see, we once, we once got um, approached to potentially do a project for TSA. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they told us was like, we wanna start advertising more about uh, what we're Don't doing. Don't bring your guns to the airport? Like, the, like, well, just <laughs> like you know, bottle behind? Like we're gonna create some pretty, some pretty collateral, like uh -huh. in the airports, you know, kind yeah. of touting the brand. And it was like, at the end of the day, if the if the frontline people aren't, if, if, if that's where you start, if the right. frontline people, they are the brand. So right. you can say TSA is awesome, it's this and that and the third, 
But if people go to show up and that experience is not there, right. you know, you don't get it. So that's why the why matters. If you get, our, our argument was like, go to the, this human talent and create a brand, create, create cachet around, listen, you're not just like, you know, getting people to like open their bag. You're like protecting the country. You're doing something greater. Right. And right, so when right. you level it up to a higher order kind of thing, you're actually creating more kind of social utility around what it means to be a part of that organization. Yeah. Disney's another example that does this really mm -hmm. well. They brand the employees. They're Imagineers. Right, right. They're not right. just people standing out there taking tickets, part of the 360 component of building the brand. One more on brand, and then we're going to drive a stake through startups in a second, I think, on this together is... If you think, and we were talking about recently, like Four Seasons. I was using an example, because you were talking about like when you interface with a TSA agent, and this is gonna be a great example for startups, I think, and we do it at Dreamit, and I do it in some other things I work on, right? If you look at the Four Seasons, I remember somebody told me, this is 10, 15 years ago, there was a new Four Seasons opening in Hawaii, somewhere in Hawaii, and they interviewed 2,000 people for 200 positions. And people were like, that's insane, 2,000 people for like, this is housekeeping, it's front desk. Yeah. And it's like, look, these generally a lot of the people at these levels are paid minimum wage at Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. And our brand is built right there at that interface. That's right. That is our brand. It's right. when I open the door for you at the front of the Four Seasons in Hawaii and I say, good afternoon, Dr. Reed. Back, welcome back to the hotel. Or at the front desk. Or the way the maid looks at you says, good morning. Totally. That is that brand. Is, mm -hmm. And somebody had said, like, that's our interface. That is where our brand is built and made every single day at our kind of lowest paid employees. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was interesting. So if we take that back to startups, I think one of the things that maybe we could talk about for a startup, like how do you help build that brand from the beginning is mm -hmm. how are you interfacing with your early customers? How are you reaching out? Are you sitting behind an email or a support or are you yeah. leaning into a situation if something goes wrong? Any yeah. thoughts? I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, I think that's it's super important. I think that the challenge though is because it doesn't map on to, to scaling, right? Yeah. So it's like, no, when yeah. you're first starting out, but you're gonna Paul talk Graham, to every... Paul Graham from YC says this all the time, right? Do things that don't scale. Okay. That's okay, yeah. it's in the I, beginning. I, I, think it's, I think it's fair right. in the beginning because, you, you know, if you're not doing the right things that aren't scalable, you may not have an opportunity to try to scale. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, I mean, good so in point. Some, you know, in, yeah. some, in some senses, it's, right. it's, it's, a, it's an important point. But right. I think that's critical. Like, understanding the brand is 360. The brand is the experience. It's right. the product, the service. It's my promise. It's how I treat my employees. Right. All of these things as a startup, you're, you should be, like, trying to, I know you're wearing multiple hats. Right. But you got to be, like, you got to be, like, thinking about these things and all those aspects. Right. You know? Okay. No, because I, th I think a lot of times we see startups, I see things that I work on in my personal life. When you lean in, you know, People always talk about that that you really earn your stripes when the shit hits the fan, right? It's when things, I don't know if I could say that at the Wharton School of Finance, but I don't work here full time anymore. But anyway, you know, when things are going bad, poorly, yeah. that's when you can really, it's yeah. where you see people rise up. And I'm just even thinking like a Zappos or, or Dustin, who's with us today, is it was from Revzilla. He worked at Revzilla with Anthony Bucci, a really good friend. And I remember being at Revzilla when it was like three people, mm -hmm. four people. You know, and the one guy on customer service, they'd be on the phone forever if there was a problem, yeah. right? That's yeah. how they differentiated versus Wait, what's you interesting. Go, what's yeah. interesting about, I'm sorry to, to no, interrupt no, you, no. Steve. What's interesting about that is that why would you do that? If you are connected to, to your why, yeah. that's the you have pride right. in what it is that you're doing. You but, believe so strongly in what you're doing that it's worth it to right. have that kind of social investment in those early on in those customers. But to me, the favorite thing is, it's such an easy way to crush a competing large company because they'll never do that. Because remember, 
what we're experiencing unusually high call volumes. We'll be with you in 42 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, it's, right. you know, it's like, it's just an easy thing. Just differentiating on service. Hopefully if you're a product company, if you're a service company, it's all you have, mm -hmm. but great service or leaning in or, cause you will surprise and delight people. Cause it's so unexpected, right? Mm -hmm. When something like that yeah. happens, it's yeah. so unexpected. Totally. So. Anyway, um, any other quick thoughts on one or two other ideas for a startup? I'm trying to build my brand. I'm trying to do things early on, and then we'll take a couple questions. Yeah, I think that you don't be afraid to to ha to have the discipline to do the brand building exercise. I think you know you have to pull yourself out of it. This is going back to hold your ideas lightly argument. Mm -hmm. You got to pull yourself out out of it and make sure you're you're spending some time with the strategy hat on, mm -hmm. and to realize the brand is an asset. That's the problem. That people think it's just the tagline and the logo and the pretty colors on the website. No, it's the asset that you're building. Mm -hmm. And you have to invest. You have to have the discipline to invest in it and do the proper sorts of things that are going to create its potential to create gravity with those customers that are going to be your core customers, your super loyalists, if you will, right. uh, that really build the thing, and get the thing going. Cool, cool. I, I have one last question, by the way. A lot of what we've talked about are consumer facing, consumer facing brands, mm -hmm. DTC, B two C, however yeah. you want to say it. Yeah. What if I'm a, and dream it, we deal with a lot of B2B companies. They're totally. selling to enterprises, they're totally. selling to hospital systems, or the head of security at American Express. Sure. Brand identity, brand loyalty. Oh, come on, man. This is it's funny it you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm selling to the no, CIO of Penn. Totally. Like, totally. It's, it's same logic, same principles, different yeah. execution. Okay. So I get asked this Make all the time. Yeah, okay. I get asked this all the time, like, well, does this apply to B2B? Absolutely. And yeah. it applies more so to B2B because you have a unique decision maker, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're going to be successful, then you have to kind of understand almost in the same soci, that's the customer. Mm -hmm. You're trying to understand almost in the exact same sociological depth. Right. What do I need to do to help this person look really good in front of their boss? Okay. And so I need to build my brand as a B2B institutional kind of enterprise uh, value proposition mm -hmm. to be able to create that kind of you know, risk mitigation, but also the notion that I'm gonna help this individual as a decision maker mm -hmm be better at what they're doing. And what do I need to be able to do to sell that kind of story as my brand that's built into the service? And hopefully make them a hero. Absolutely. Kind of Absolutely. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so let me recap and then we're gonna jump into some questions. You know, we talked about basic definitions. We talked about, you know, what's a powerful brand? What is a brand? How do you drive loyalty, social status, co-branding, putting it on your body, all of that. And we talked a bit about startups. Let me, let me take some questions, then we'll grab some live audience questions. We have a bunch of questions in front of us. Let me jump into that real quick. So first question for you, Americus, I guess these are gonna all be for you, right? What, what, so it's interesting, you mentioned you do. you do XM podcasts. Do. What, what podcasts, if I'm into branding and brand identity, what podcasts do I you think you know the to answer. Or, yeah, besides your own, but. I mean, yeah, or I, your own also. I, so. I listen to my own. You do because mine are damn good. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, all they're right. Actually, they're actually He's, really. He is excellent. No, they're they're really good because we bring in we we talk about a lot. We bring in kind of like. A bunch of different types of folks come in, mm -hmm. C-suite people, but also people that are building companies as well. Mm -hmm. um, we so all, you, it's not it's not you. It's like what we're doing here. You're interviewing them and just interviewing them, Got getting it. taking calls, right. answering questions. Do you do it on XM and as a podcast? Yes, or taking calls. Okay, yeah, so cool. we do it live, and then later on, I, I uh, produce it. the the podcast, and they live in an archive. Cool. But uh, we focus on brand and business, and, and I, I hammer home. I mean, I sing and, and really talk about this, you know, a lot, which is mm -hmm. the notion of focusing on brand and why you should do it. Why is it a, why is it a strategic exercise and not just like mar marketing uh, right. fluff? Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Next question. Um, what books and blogs do you recommend for startups in particular? Startup. Well, there's a great book uh, by a guy named Ted Wright. 
TED Wright called okay. Word of Mouth Marketing. Mm -hmm. He's uh, it's a fantastic book. By the way, let me, let me go back to startups, right? Yeah, yeah. Start, no money. No money. So what, what are you going to do as a startup? Well, one of the things that you're going to do if you, when you are, create your why yeah, and yeah. articulate your why is mm -hmm. to try to get people talking about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It turns out that so much of what drives market behavior is just, you know, I know Steve is the movie guy. Mm -hmm. And so what movie should I go see? Right, America's right. go see Rise of Skywalker. Okay, right, done. Right, right. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do I, how do I, what's my story? Right. And why am I, go, what, what's going to be the reason that people would want to share it? Mm -hmm. And that's something that like word of mouth marketing is something. I'm reading the book. It's called Word of Mouth Marketing. Yeah. Uh, it's Wright's book? Ted Wright's book. Ted Wright's yeah. book. And yeah. it, it, it's, it's the Bible of understanding from, from start to finish mm -hmm. how to find your story mm -hmm. and how to, how to seed it into the mm -hmm. marketplace. Not, not buying influencers. That's right, gonna, right. It, the word influencers is kind of this cliche now. Right, right. right? But no, getting key opinion leaders, getting organic advocates mm -hmm. who love what they do to want to sort of have a connection with you in terms of integrating what you're doing into what they're doing. So again, it's, like, it's that brand identity. It's again, brand right? identity. It becomes part of that. And what's beautiful about it, what Ted talks about this in the book, is why it's cost effective for startups. Wait, is it's that, not a TED talk. No, it's, Ted talks it's about Ted it. Okay. Talk, yeah, okay. Ted Wright Maybe talks about talk this about in the book from yeah. FizzCorp. Right. Uh, but what he says is, you tell your story appropriately. You find where those key opinion leaders in that space co-locate, mm -hmm. and, you, and you come there not to interrupt them, but to be there to potentially share your story, they find you, right. actually. And so it's like this really interesting kind of cost-effective way to do marketing early on, especially the type of marketing that's so powerful because people are tuning out advertising and attempts to sell you stuff. What they're interested in is authentic connection, relationships, and having the type of validity and credibility as someone who like really knows about wine or cars or movies such that you're telling me that I should you know check out this product or the server of this brand? Okay, I'll absolutely do that. Okay. Any any other books you could think of? Maybe you know the author pretty well? Yeah, well. <laughs> I don't know if for starters. Uh, that's good. That's very New good. New book out? I do have a, well, so I have co-edited a book on identity research in marketing. Okay. And it's, it's going to be, it's kind of, it's a B2B. Yeah, so I'm B2B. selling this into libraries. Okay. So I, I am marketing to, to libraries. Uh, but I have asked uh, 31 sets of authors who are specialists in luxury marketing, uh, clinical psychology, children's marketing, mm -hmm. all kinds of different areas to speak on identity in the context of the topics that I study. Mm. And so I invited them to kind of like crowdsource, oh, cool. give me the, the latest and greatest and innovative thought. Right. Uh, and so, so I'm pretty excited, just came out last week actually. Right. Uh, so that's the book that I recommend. Okay, there you go. All right, cool, <laughs> next question. We kind of talked about this already, maybe answered it, it says, you know, in a startup culture that values you values fake it till you make it, can yeah. you do the same thing with your brand? Can you fake your brand till nope, you make it? Can't. Okay. I'm gonna be very strong on this. Yeah. Um, right. This may be anti-Gary V. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> shout I out to Gary V. <laughs> shout out to Gary V, man. Yeah. He's he's a great brand. He's quite a hustler. He's a yeah. great brand. Yeah, he is. And uh, you know, I don't think you can fake it. I think this is a this is an this is an exercise in in authenticity. Right. And so if you really believe this, if you mm. really buy into the narrative, if you really buy into what you're doing. Uh, then it's it's not a faking exercise. It's it's like it's like your brand as an entrepreneur is 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 more or less an extension of you. So it's not like getting up and strategically doing anything necessarily as much as it is just being yourself. Got so it. in some senses that there, there is no fake it till you make it. Right. There is this let, let's do it till you can you know be successful. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I'm gonna skip. There's a question, but it was already kind of answered. I'm gonna skip ahead and go to. Can you iterate and pivot on your brand? 
like you do your product and your positioning. That's like, interesting, yeah. Like I, maybe I started as Airbnb or I started as Uber or I started something, but I, I pivot on, can I pivot? Can I refine my brand over time? He, he, well, the, you, I got good news and bad news. Mm -hmm. The good news is you can pivot. The mm -hmm. bad news is it takes a long time. Got it. And the reason that is because a brand right. is not something that changes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are, for example, Blackberry, Mm -hmm. And you're seen oh, as, yeah. right, it's a great example. Yeah. You're seen as you are the brand of professional business people mm -hmm. that this mobile device, and you try to now suddenly become something else. Like, no, I'm the brand of, I'm a different thing. Right. It, it, it's, you can't, that's the power. It's a double-edged sword. Right. So a strong, iconic brand cannot be undone very quickly. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Next question uh, from Ben Nepler. Thank you, Ben, for asking it on LinkedIn. Do you think, okay, this is a little long. Uh, this will be interesting though. Do you think the Peloton TV commercial from December, I'm sure yes. you know what that was. Yes. December and the associated negative PR yeah. will ultimately hurt the Peloton brand or is it a case of any publicity is That's good a great publicity? question. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I get asked that a lot. Mm -hmm. I am of the mindset that, you know, it's a, it's a false dichotomy. It's mm -hmm. like the, the choice isn't between bad publicity or nothing. The choice is between bad publicity and good publicity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, given right, right, that, right. you know, uh, so in that context. But what I would say is that here's another point that Ben is raising that I think is interesting in all this. And that's the idea that the brand, if you do it right, mm -hmm. the brand allows you forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is like when you come under crisis, if you've done this right and you've put in the social goodwill to build the narrative and the why. Right. Customers will say, you know what, you screwed that up, but it's okay. Right. So in right. some senses, brand crisis, branding is like an exercise in making those deposits right. that will allow you to be able to withdraw later on when things go wrong. It's, it's interesting, I wonder also if that's part of like when you talk about brand identity that people come to the defense of the brand. Peloton has a cult-like following, right? Huge, so, huge. so they're like, yeah, okay, everybody makes mistakes and they huge. come to the defense of the brand. For why? Because they identify with it socially, if I'm picking up on the way you say that correctly. Totally, totally. Okay, cool. Let's keep going. Next question is from Charles. He asks, what are some of the social platforms or content mediums you see brands using effectively? Example, more brands doing podcasts or video content? Mm -hmm. or this is a great question from Charles because I think that... <laughs> As marketers, we're always trying to figure out what's the ROI of doing it, especially startups, right? Yeah. Startups is like, this is the critical question. I can right. allocate $1 here, over there. I don't have tons of these dollars, so mm -hmm. where do I put them? Uh, by the way, it's paid versus organic. Do yeah, total, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so what I think is interesting here is that we don't know what the ROI is on these things. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, well, I just gotta, I gotta be on Instagram because everybody's on Instagram. Right. So there's some kind of social cachet to signaling to your customers that, hey, you know, especially if you're trying to talk to a younger customer, mm -hmm. hey, I'm there, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. But I think what- are you on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok. Okay, right, I just okay. got on Instagram. Okay, all right. I did Professor Americas. Okay. Okay. Professor Americas. That's wow. correct. Go Very put cool. A little bit of cachet there. Very so cool. Very, anyway, uh, I'm sorry. Distracted. You know, but I'm struggling right now because right. it's like I cannot do LinkedIn, Twitter, right. Instagram, now and tw and all these things, Facebook. I got right. four things I'm working on now, and now it's right. turning into a job. Right. So I, I think what I would do is I would say, you know, what is the platform that best fits that brand, that specific brand, mm -hmm. or that narrative, that why, mm -hmm. uh, and their audience, and their audience, right, and lean in on that. Now you can yeah. have other things going on. You can be in peripherally, peripherally playing in these mm -hmm. other places, but mm -hmm. I would focus on like putting that money or those efforts into those into the more synchronized platforms it, that really where your customers are. Right. And it's interesting if you think about that. You mentioned Gary Vee earlier. You know, if you look, a lot of times he's always trying to. We do it at Dreamit, right? We we love to do content marketing, right? We do these kind of Dream It Live, Dream It Dose, they're, they're... Anyway, when we get it out there, that one of the things you look at is like, what, 
just because everybody is zigging doesn't mean you need to do that. Yeah. Like everybody's zigging so you zag. Yeah. Right? A lot of people do podcasts. We like to do video. It's harder. Yeah. It's, it's much harder, but it's, much we harder. think it's more interesting. And like Gary Vee talks a lot about like what's the next social platform? What's the angle? What do you do? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has some very, I mean, he's a, he's building his brand. He's a quite yeah. opinionated yeah. and, uh, you know, quite controversial. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not a proponent of hustle porn. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I feel like, you know, the startup, I think you have to have, it's building your brand as an entrepreneur. Right. It's like you got to have the balance. You gotta have all those things. You gotta, you know, really uh, take your time in terms of what you're doing. Right. Okay, one last question. If people in the audience here have some questions, you can either put it on and hit that big blue link, or we can just take it live. Um, we have about three more minutes left. So John Malerho, if I pronounce that correctly, asks: As a startup, what can I be doing before launch? to build a brand, mm. what are two or three top tools I should have and be working on? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think you, as, a, as you're building a brand, one key area that I think is often missed mm -hmm. is to kind of start, kind of see yourself as trying to create thought leadership in the general area that you're working in, in terms right. of what you're trying to build a company. So like doing a blog, mm -hmm. for example, on this, on the general area of that passion point mm -hmm. that's gonna be sort of the fertile ground where the brand, where the product or the service is gonna potentially live, mm -hmm. is actually a really smart thing. And in fact, there's lots of examples of these companies that start from, here's a blogger who's super into fashion, or right. here's a blogger who's into wine or whatever, and they're just talking about the cool stuff that they love to do, it, and then later on, you know, right. here's something that I actually put into the marketplace. It, so, you know, I'm sorry, just blogging yeah. and, and like, just like creating a kind of conversation, putting your stuff out there early on, mm -hmm. very simple ways to do that, and pretty inexpensively it's too. The, we hear the expression sometimes, tell, don't sell. Yes, right? exactly. So you can blog before you're selling, tell. The other thing I would just add on that, you know, when we see people do, on uh, when they launch, right? It's even when you start doing that early PR and you're reaching out to the press, like how are you telling, not selling? How, are, how do you actually do the launch? How do you hit that correctly, actually from a PR perspective online? So anyway, okay, we have one last question that just came in from Lionheart. That's a very interesting name. Um, again, wow, that's quite a brand, it's Lionheart. Quite a, Lionheart de, de, Ramo, de Ramoa, I'm not gonna pronounce that correctly, but wow. anyway, I apologize. So anyway, startups have limited time and money to build their brand, absolutely. Can the startup studio model help startups in that aspect. Do you know startup studios, when you spin up a company, there's different versions of startup yeah, studios, but yeah. if you know of that, do you think that startup studios can help? Absolutely, I mean, right. anything that, that's that's anything that's a concentration of resources that's gonna allow you to have like, multi, take your focus and put your energies into a specific kind of narrow thing is right. gonna be very useful. But, and again, it's, that's a way to like force structure mm -hmm. and discipline on yourself so that you don't let the brand building exercise fall by the wayside. Cool, cool. We talked about some of the tips and tricks. What are yeah. some of the traps? That... Traps, one of the biggest traps that, that we see a lot is then feeling like you're going to try to talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of discipline about branding that's saying, I know who I am going to try to reach out to mm -hmm. and I have to live with it. It's hard because mm -hmm. it's like basically saying it's this inference in your mind that I, I'm going to let some of these customers go. Right. And that's hard to do, especially for startups and entrepreneurs. Right. But there's a, there's a kind of discipline that says once you have that defined segment that you're trying to create that identity loyalty with, you stick with it. Right. Like Nike did, Colin Kaepernick, right? Mm -hmm. they, they understood that. They put this, they said, we're going to connect with this guy. Mm -hmm. And they got a lot of blowback. Right. 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 Shoes getting burned on Twitter, right. all kinds of stuff going on and they sat back and said no this is who we are and so we know that you might be upset by this right. but we are making a bet in terms of our understanding of who we are and who our customer is and the potential connection that we can have with this particular sponsorship uh, opportunity that's cool yeah. that's cool and it's interesting yeah. we say mistakes that brands make I was reading something recently that talked about North Face as a brand my wife in September is gonna go hike Kilimanjaro and I bet you God willing she summits and 
there'll be a lot of people up there wearing North Face. It's mm -hmm. a very respected brand, not the only one, certainly, but a very respected brand in that community. But it's now a mainstream brand. Mm -hmm. And trying to manage that brand oh, image, yeah. and I think part of that is just loyalty and identity. I mean, I think people just buy because they're like North Face. But it's interesting where totally. their target really is that climber. That's where they've grown up. That's, that's right. the brand. But they're very mainstream. You know, yeah. How many kids walking around or students totally. like Wharton it's a, um, it's a, it's a, a, a North Face backpack or a jacket or whatever. It's a, it's a question that every startup will face. Like, right. I'm going to have this core set of users. Right. I want to scale. Right. So as I develop my thing to talk to more people, mm -hmm. you know, what are those core users going to feel about the larger audience? Because right. part of it is like I feel special because I use product X or Y. Right. And so that's a challenge that you'll have to figure out. You know, will there be some kind of aspirational thing where it's like, yes, we. You know, the professional or guru climbers still right. love us. Right. But here's what, this is interesting. So it's like the core base could be upset and say, well, you know, we're, we're really into this. These people that are like doing it kind of for fun. Or you could say, let's invite the, the, the gurus in right. to bring the, the people who are not so much into it along. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the Jedi model. Oh, so cool. you use the gurus to kind right. of bring in the Padawan learners. Yeah. <laughs> and you like you build like this, you can keep the community growing mm -hmm. because you're, you're, you're still kind of celebrating the core user. Right, right. Cool. That's it. Thanks, really man. appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's great to as Thanks always. A lot, man. Terrific. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for watching Dream It Live today with America's Reed. We'll see you next time.